Hey, thanks so much everybody for being here this morning. It is the first day of October. Can you believe it? First day of October and it's going to be 86 degrees today. So I hope everybody got out your fall colors and put them on just to remember what the season used to feel like and what used to happen. But if you hang on one more week, if you guys, if you guys looked online, have you seen this? One more week, I promise it is coming. And it being that it'll be 70 degrees next week. Yeah, actually about 75, just so you can work up a little bit of a sweat when you're walking back from, from lunch to your car. Uh, but hey, it's going to be in the 40s next weekend. Hey, it's coming. Fall is going to be here. Get your pumpkins ready. Everybody needs to be getting out your sweaters. Go ahead and be, be decorating. How many of you decorate the inside of your house for what's happening on the outside of your house? Do you do that? You know, it becomes fall, and so you have to tell everybody inside your home what's going on on the outside. So some of you have already begun that process, even though now it's just going to be dust this, you know, this month. No leaves, just dust. It's just going to all just, you know, fall off. But uh, it, it is a great, man, it's a great time of year. Uh, coming up at the end of this month, we're going to be having our annual fall festival. And I say that in order to remind you, as you are leaving this room today, when you're going into the lobby, uh, take a little left-hand turn and you're going to see there's a table there and there are multiple sign-ups uh, for our fall festival. For, and it's going to be a little different this year, the way that uh, we're going to be running it and the way that we're going to be rolling it out. And so a lot of different things for you to be involved in to make this a, a really just a great day. Great day not only for our church family, but for our community. And we want you to be a part of that. So as you go out of the lobby, hang a left, look there at those uh, different sign-up sheets and you go ahead and, and put your name down because it's going to help you feel like it really is fall, okay? You're going to start to feel that way and then you can go and start buying your candy for $75 on Amazon and that will really make it feel like fall, right? That would be great. If you are traveling, because this also becomes a traveling season for us, uh, I know fall breaks are about to hit here in Chattanooga this next, uh, next weekend, actually, and the week after that. And maybe for some of you, it has already hit. And so you are, you are traveling, and you have come in to be a part of our time here together today. We are so thankful for your presence here. We're grateful for uh, you coming to hopefully be encouraged and uplifted by the time that we spend together in praise to our God. We want you to know that, that we're in the, in the middle of a series that's called BHAG, uh, that big, hairy, audacious goal. Maybe you've talked about it before in your place of business, and uh, now you come in and you see it here within our church setting, and you're like, well, what exactly are, what are you, what are you talking about at East Brainerd right now? What's on your mind, and, and, and what's your focus? Well, last week, we ended our study time with a question what are you willing to do to make sure that others don't miss out on the grace of God? What are you willing to do to make sure that others do not miss out on the grace of God? It is a question that speaks to the heart of our big, hairy, audacious goal. Because this goal is all about being able to connect the next generation to Christ. And this is a question, this 
What is it that I am willing to do to make sure that others don't miss out on the grace of God? This question is something that has to be answered both on an individual and on a congregational level. This is not just about what is going on here on our campus. This is a question that is focused on what's happening in your home. Well, what's going on in your conversations? Where, where is your focus during the week? I think too often when discussions center around how a faith community can be more intentional and engaging and effective at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the focus oftentimes is on strategies and models that, that should be changed or implemented by the church as an organization, by, by the church body itself. Conversations, especially among our fellowship within the churches of Christ, often consolidate around our church gatherings. Times like this when, when we are together and, and those conversations oftentimes focus on, well, how are we going to and what are we going to do when it comes to our praise and when it comes to our study times? What should these look like or what should these not look like? And now while, while there's definitely merit in considering how our joint gatherings can be more a conduit than a barrier to God's grace, it is our individual goings that actually have the greatest impact on the generations of, of men and women who, well, they are skeptical about the need and the usefulness of religious institutions. See, just like the woman that Jesus met at the Samaritan well and, and the man that Jesus healed in the region of the Gerasenes, it is the impact of the familiar voice sharing what Jesus has done in my life that yields the kingdom results. So it's an individual question, and it's a congregational question. And we ask it because as a nation, we are currently experiencing the largest and the fastest religious shift in the history of the United States. Tens of millions of formerly engaged and regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided that they no longer want to be connected or attend a church at all. These are now what are being called de-churched people. There's a name for everything, right? The de-churched. And they represent some 40 million American adults. That's 16% of the U.S. population. 40 million U.S. adults who used to align themselves with the church but now no longer do so. And for the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked religious membership, there are actually more adults in the United States now who claim no church affiliation than those who acknowledge a connection with a spiritual institution. For the first time ever. We are living in uncharted waters that the Christian community, at least within our Western culture, here within the United States, uncharted waters that the Christian community has never experienced before, where there are more individuals in our country now who say, I am not connected to a church than actually are. And generally speaking, the younger a person is, the more likely he or she is to be religiously unaffiliated. It's just what the statistics are showing. Now, if you were coming of age during the 1990s, all right, if you were coming of age during this time, if you were raising a family, if, if you were graduating from, from high school or college, 
Well, that was the time that the U.S. began to see a stark change in church affiliation. And I love this article by, by Ryan Burge. It's called, Okay, Millennial, Don't Blame the Boomers for a Decline in Religion in America. I like that. Don't blame the boomers. Here's what he writes. The early 1990s was an inflection point for American religion. Between the early 1970s and the 1990s, okay, between that, 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 that decade span, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. How many of you guys remember those, those decades, right? Can I get an oh yeah? It's not the 60s, so I know you remember them, okay? So the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Let's see this. How many of you have ever worn, and, and this might include some of our young people, how many of you have ever worn a pair of bell bottoms? Anybody? Man, hey, look at all these bell bottoms. And man, their hands went up quick, like, yes, I did. Okay, how, how many of you ever had, anybody had parachute pants? Anybody had parachute pants? There we go. How many of you have sported the mullet? Anybody had the mullet? All right. Steve Kahn, you had a mullet? <laughs> hey, Steve, stand up now and show everybody what you look like. There's a lot of people who don't know. <laughs> From the, between the 70s and the 90s, listen to this. Here's what he writes. Between the 70s and the 90s, the share of Americans who had no religious affiliation only rose two points. Okay, so the 1970s, the 1980s, into the early 1990s, the percentage of people that said, I'm not connected to religion, I'm not a part of a church, during that period of time only went up two points, okay? But from the early 90s forward, the nuns, as we know that they are called now, would grow by a percentage point or two nearly every year through the following three decades, what represented 5% of the population in 1990 currently stands at 25%. The change that has taken place in our society since the 90s within the, within the religious spectrum is just amazing. And if you were a part of that time frame, maybe you've noticed some of those changes. And maybe you, you also look back and, and you remember, it's like, man, I, I remember that, that, that time. And I remember those early 90s and it seemed like, yeah, man, there were, there were a lot of different churches. And, and the, man, I was reading Max Licato and, and there was Charles Stanley on television. And, and there, were, there were all these different things that people were plugged into. And even though during that time period since, there have been more and more people who have de-churched and individuals who have decided not to be churched at all. There are always those that say, you know what, when all these younger people grow up, they're going to come to church because that's what a lot of you did. A lot of you checked out in the 60s in more ways than one. And others of you checked out in the 70s. But when your kids came along in the 80s, when your kids came along, all of a sudden, you came back to church. You returned to your roots. You, you returned to what was familiar. And there are always those that say, well, that's what's going to happen with this generation. And individuals have been saying that since the 90s. But here's the thing. It doesn't seem to be happening. Stephen Boulevard, in his book, Nonverts, believes that barring some great millennial revival, he says... The proportion of the religiously unaffiliated seems likely to grow and grow for the foreseeable future. A lot of churches have just kind of sat around saying, the kids are going to come back. Well, the kids are 42 now. 
Okay, the kids are 42. The kids are parents themselves. And they have not returned like, like many of you did at one time. We've said over this series that the Christian community, with very few exceptions, has been hemorrhaging young adults for the last 25 years. And while there is no secret sauce, we've, we've discussed that, there, I do believe there are steps that we can take to better ensure that the next generation doesn't miss out on the grace of God. But it all comes back to what individually and then collectively we are willing to do. To make sure that others don't miss out on God's grace, I will what? Well, in his letter to the Christians in Corinth, the Apostle Paul explained what he was willing to do. And he shared his strategy for, for healing and, and hope, how he was going to, to share that message with, with others from different backgrounds. He said, though I am free and belong to no one, he said, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might bring individuals to Christ. When I'm with the Jews, he says, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I, I too lived under that law, he said. Even though I myself was not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. He said, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, well, he says, I, I don't follow the Jewish law then either. I, I, I live like the Gentiles. I live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore God's law. I obey the law of Christ. He said, I am still under, I am still under the rule of God even though I am becoming, he says, all things to all people. When I'm weak, when I'm with those who are weak, I am weak. I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. He says, yes, I become all things to all people. One translation says, I try to find common ground with everyone in order that I might be able to save some, doing everything I can. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Paul says, this is my life verse, okay? That this is what I'm about. This is who I'm about. If you wonder why I go where I go, why I do what I do, why I, I, I structure my life, why I bring everything in my life under the control of God, I do it so that I might be able to share the gospel message with someone else. That's why. He says, I genomahi all things. He says, I become all things to all people. Genomahi, I become and the word means that there is a transitioning from one point, from one realm, from one condition to another. It, it signifies a change of condition, a change of state. It says there's a change of place. Understand, Paul is going, look, I, I become something different. You're like, well, Paul, you're just too wishy-washy. I mean, you just need to um, decide who you're going to be, and you just need to stand there. And he says, well, I have decided who I'm going to be. I'm going to be all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might be able to win some. I have made my choice. In the verb form that Paul uses, he expresses when he says, I become all things, he, it, it shows that it was a choice that he made, and it was a choice that he continued to live in. He's saying, there is no accident. I have chosen that I will do whatever it takes to make sure that others do not miss out on the grace of God. And if you haven't already, if you haven't already taken your Bible and, and highlighted this passage, if you haven't already taken out your phone and gotten your finger and, and tried to, to move it down and get the right, and I know some of us, man, that is just so hard, right? 
trying to highlight something on her phone and, and all of a sudden we do the whole page and we don't want the page and we got to back it up and then we just never can and, and then we just throw it against the wall and hope it highlights itself. 1 Corinthians 9, go there and find verse 19 and you just start highlighting really until the end of the chapter. And this needs to be something that, that, that we are reading and that we are keeping in front of us. Because I think it's here where we find our starting point for connecting the next generation to Christ. And I told you last week that we were going to start giving some specific things that I felt like were, uh, and, and have been praying about that, that I believe that if we begin to put these into place, we're going to have a better opportunity to gain a hearing with the next generation that's here in our culture. Here's the first thing. Guys, we have to be willing to develop a whatever-it-takes mindset. A whatever-it-takes mindset. Whatever it takes to make sure that my children, my neighbors, my classmates, my grandchildren, my coworkers, my roommates, my travel buddies, whatever it takes to make sure that my spouse, whatever it takes to make sure that, that these individuals who I am close to and, and those just who I come in contact with randomly, whatever it takes to make sure if they do not miss out on the grace of God, that is what I will do. That's what I will do. I will adjust how I spend my time and how I spend my money. I will change my conversations. I will examine my beliefs and I will question my traditions. I will repent. I will accept. I will forgive. I will become more humble. I will love. I will sacrifice. I will be uncomfortable. I will stop arguing and start listening. I will stop excluding and begin welcoming. I will use the material blessings of this life to bless others. I will reorder my priorities in life so that others do not miss out on the grace of God. You see, for too long, the approach of too many churches and too many Christians has been, I will do whatever it takes, but. Maybe you've said that before. Somebody has talked about, well, What's it going to take to, to, to reach this family? Or, or what's it going to take to help connect this group? And, and, and how can I bring this person closer to a life-restoring connection with Jesus Christ? And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything, everything, but. We will do whatever it takes, but we won't do that. Do you have a that? Do you have a that? Is there a limit to what you will do in order to ensure the next generation surrenders their lives to Jesus Christ? Now this is the point where in the past I've had some say, but Chris, we can't sacrifice biblical truth or sound doctrine. I've gotten that before when I've preached lessons similar to this and someone will send me an email or, or they'll just wait and not even, or not even wait to get on the computer, but just meet me out in the lobby and say, all right, hey, it all sounds good, but you know, we can't sacrifice biblical truth or sound doctrine. And to me, what I have found is that has always been a telltale sign of an individual unwilling to develop a whatever-it-takes mindset. Friends, the Apostle Paul did not sacrifice biblical truth when, when he went along with the customs and the beliefs of the Jews and the Gentiles. 
He conformed to their ideas and opinions just to have an open door to help them. His desire was to relate to and connect to and, and, and to impact these people with the message of Christ while never going beyond the law of Christ. Do you think Jesus, do you think Jesus sacrificed sound doctrine when he ate with, with, with sinners? And when, well, I, we know the religious people thought that he was sacrificing it, right? But did he really, did he sacrifice sound doctrine when he ate with sinners and empowered women and, and healed the sick and, and welcomed the marginalized and, and went to the cross? Did, 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 did he sacrifice biblical truth or, or sound doctrine doing those things? You see, the reason that Paul was able to write and say, you know what, to the Jew I'm going to be a Jew and to the Gentile I'm going to be like a Gentile. I'm going to build common ground with these individuals so that I can be able to, to have this time is because... Well, he displayed a whatever-it-takes mindset because Jesus lived a whatever-it-takes life. See, Paul wrote with a Jesus lens. And, and looking back on the life of Jesus and knowing what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, Paul said, I will have a whatever-it-takes mindset. The problem, though, that many Christians face, and, and I, I was talking to someone in the Gen Z in this Gen Z group, uh, some, somebody was in college just this week, and uh, I, was, uh, I was told, um, hey, look, don't, don't sugarcoat it. The Gen Zs need to, just need to hear it. And said, everybody else does too, so don't, don't, don't sugarcoat things. The problem that many Christians face is that the pull of their religious and cultural traditions is stronger than their desire to see others accept the grace of God. I mean, that's just the truth. And we must be willing to develop a whatever-it-takes mindset. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. In order to share the good news of Jesus with another individual. We're not running from biblical truth or sound doctrine. That is biblical truth. That is sound doctrine. The lack of religious interest, guys, by the Americans who are under the age of 45, it didn't just happen overnight. We didn't just wake up one day and realize, wow, there's a lot of younger people who are not um, really uh, reading their Bibles. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, young families that aren't uh, part of churches anymore. Christians, Christians and their institutions, by and large, just fail to, to see the warning signs. And I mean, it's been something that, that, that in lessons that I've done, I mean, I've been talking about it for the last 20 years. And people were talking about it even before that, back into, into the 90s, and that, hey, look, this is coming. But it's kind of like this year when our family went on vacation and I hit a moose. I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, when, when we were on vacation, we went up into uh, New Hampshire and into Maine, and, and this is an actual sign that uh, is just outside of Portland, Maine. Watch for moose in roadway. Yeah. Now, now, I know here in the South, we have the, the watch for the dancing deer. You know, we, we have those signs. You know, the, those nice prancing deer signs, you know, that it's like, watch. But we know that if, if the deer are going to be coming onto the highway, where are they going to come from? They're going to come from the sides, right? They're, they're going to come darting across. They're going to come dancing across your field of vision. Not moose. 
Not in Maine. They just hunker their big hineys right there in the highway. That's what they do. And so on one night, we were on our way from Bangor to Portland, and it was dark. There was not a lot of cars there on, on the road, and Tanya is on her phone playing a little game with the kids. You know, it's, they, they're, they're, they're going back and forth with different uh, conversations, and I've got my 80s on, 8 on, you know, and, and I'm, don't stop believing. I mean, I'm just driving, and everything is great, and all of a sudden, it's like, moose! And you're like, Chris, you're making this up. Look at the, put the next picture up. Go ahead. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the hind end of a moose right there. That, 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 there. There is a moose that has a wardrobe malfunction somewhere in Maine because I, I, I turned just in time, and that's actually the back wheel well, okay? So I, I, the, the front of the car missed him, but the back wheel well hit him, and, um, and, and, and we've got some moose hair here just, just so that people will— I mean, this was, this was what we brought back from, from our vacation, we have moose hair. We do. Because let me tell you something. Those signs, they were no joke. <laughs> you got to watch out for moose in the highway. I mean, they don't cross. They just camp out. Those signs were no joke. And guess what? Neither were the signs that warned us that we were in danger of failing to pass on our faith. A decade ago, millennial author, the late Rachel Held Evans who, by the way, grew up just up the road in Dayton, Tennessee, published an article on CNN called Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. She wrote this. What, what millennials really want from the church is not change in style, but change in substance. We want an end to the culture wars. We want a truce between science and faith. We want to be known for what we stand for, not what we are against. We want to ask questions that don't have predetermined answers. We want churches that emphasize an allegiance to the kingdom of God over an allegiance to a single political party or a single nation. We want our LGBT friends to feel truly welcome in our faith communities. We want to be challenged to live lives of holiness, not only when it comes to sex, but also when it comes to living simply, caring for the poor and oppressed, pursuing reconciliation, engaging in creation care, and becoming peacemakers. And I don't know if her words make you want to say, yes, or no. But she and others from her generation have been telling us for years what's on their heart when it comes to religion and spirituality. But for the most part, our churches have missed the signs. Our churches have missed the signs, and, and, and now we have, we have run head on, head on into our, our own moose that's been right there in the middle of the road. And that brings us to the next thing. When we, when we ask have we been paying attention? Have we been listening? It brings us to the next thing that we must be willing to do in order to connect the next generation to Christ. Friends, we must be willing to engage in uncomfortable conversations. Uncomfortable conversations. 
And if I don't have that on the slide, you can just go to the next one, guys. I might have accidentally taken it out. I apologize. We must be willing to engage in uncomfortable conversations. Millennials and Gen Zs have been raised in a culture that encourages them to reject absolutes in favor of exalting their own inner beliefs. That's the culture that has been going on now for the last 25, 30 years. So we should not be surprised when addressing a religious issue or when there are spiritual questions that come around that the answer, because the Bible says so, rings hollow with 20 and 30 year olds. But with full transparency, that statement has rung hollow for many ages. Now that's not to say that every teen and young mom or dad flatly rejects scriptural guidance. That's not what we're trying to say. They are just hesitant to take it at face value. You see, the internet, for all of its usefulness, has opened generation of minds to ideas and questions concerning the validity of the Bible and traditional Christian teachings. And so what this means is that, that we must be prepared to wrestle with our common and our jointly held beliefs and traditions in order to better address the concerns that our friends and family, those same friends and family that we are attempting to reach, in order to be able to address the concerns and the questions that they have. And so that means uncomfortable conversations. Conversations, I'm sure, that, that the Apostle Paul had with, with Gentiles. Remember, Paul grew up a Jew, right? Not only did he grow up a Jew, I mean, he grew up a Jew of Jews. And, 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 and he, he had all the learning and he had all the background. And, and yet the, the Lord chose him to go be the spokesman to people who didn't share any of his beliefs. You think he had some uncomfortable conversations? We need to have some as well. Such as, how can Christians pledge allegiance to a country that refuses to address its racist past and present? Why are churches so segregated? Why do you trust the Bible when there are so many inaccuracies and contradictions in it? Why are Christians concerned about some social issues but not others? I don't think my LGBTQ friends would be welcome at your church. Why are women treated like second-class Christians in your church? You don't let them use their spiritual gifts. How can Christians vote for Donald Trump? He doesn't seem to be a very good man. I think just being a good person is enough to please God. I mean, shouldn't we just all want to get along? Why are Christians so judgmental? I wrestle with same-sex attraction does that mean I can't be a Christian and a follower of Jesus? Doesn't the Bible tell us to care for the poor? Then why does your church put so much money toward buildings and things that never impact these people? Have I made you uncomfortable yet? Friends, these are just, few, just a few of the questions that I have been asked over the years. And more than answers... The next generation wants to be part of the conversation. And remember, the majority of them now have not grown up in church like many of you have. Don't have the same background, don't have the same foundation. And those that walked away from a church community often did so with the following statements ringing in their ears. We don't talk about things like that here. 
That subject is just too controversial. We studied that 50 years ago. If you don't like our view on the subject, you can leave. After all, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But guys, uncomfortable conversations are what we must become comfortable having. Especially when it comes to keeping our teens connected over here. I'm having a hard enough time just keeping them connected with what I'm saying. Their phones right now are, are much more in tune with them than I am. But here's the deal. The questions that I just mentioned earlier, these are all questions that I have been asked by members of our youth group over the past 13 years. The questions that I brought up did not come from a single adult. These were questions that our teens have asked me during my time in, in my role here at our church. And some of them have asked, why do we never talk about these things at church? But it's okay. If we don't want to talk about these things here at church, they can just stay on their phones and go online and they can watch a TikTok video and they'll get the answer that our culture and society wants them to have. We must become comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. We cannot be afraid to address the questions and concerns that are on the minds of those considering the validity and the relevancy of Christianity. And we cannot be afraid to allow Scripture to change our minds. Have we gotten to the point where God's Word can no longer move us? Have we come to the place in our own study where we said that, God, you have nothing else to teach me? There's nothing else that I can learn because now I understand your will fully? The good news is that there are issues which are important to our younger generations that are very gospel-centered. In a secular society, there are moral ideals, caring for the poor, Pursuing justice for the powerless, restoring creation, and seeking the equality of every person that Christians sh can and should be discussing. That's sound doctrine. It's biblical truth. But we have to become comfortable having uncomfortable conversations and allowing God to speak into the midst of the questions that people are asking. And not only are people asking questions, but they're also watching how we live out the answer to those questions. And that's where we'll pick up next week as we come together, this idea of what it is that the, the, the next generation, what it is that they are, are focused on and, 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 and looking at. And I hope that you'll be able to come back and be a part. If not, I encourage you to go to eastbrainerchurch.org and pull up our live stream or, or go to our our podcast and be able to listen and, and continue on with this series as we are as we are looking to as we're looking to figure out how can we be more impactful and effective with bringing the next generation closer to a life restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me finish it out this way. Um, Tanya and I we have uh, two kiddos. Our son, uh, Micah, is 18, and our daughter, Emily, is 21. 
Next month will be 22 years old. I never thought I'd have a 22-year-old. I have uh, never lived this long before. Um, and so, um, so she's going to be 22. But when she was in high school, she was a part of something called Winter Guard. I don't know if any of you are aware of what that is, but uh, that is something for those flag spinners and, you know, the flag flippers in the band to do during the off-marching season. They're able to continue and work on their craft, and, and they're able to design different types of performances. And these performances normally happen inside a, a gym or a large building of some type, not outside on the football field during halftimes of, of football games. And she was a part of a, a winter guard group, and I'd never seen anything like it. Had never been to any kind of the practices, and, and didn't really know what to expect. And the first time that I was introduced to it was a performance that she was giving at uh, her school for uh, something called Arts a la Carte, and some of you might be familiar with that, that particular event. Well, the Winter Guard was there in this large gymnasium, and, and they had laid out on the floor a huge uh, piece of uh, some type of flooring to, to cover the floor and, and kind of give the, give the young ladies kind of their, uh, help them with their spots and where they need to be and to keep everybody in, in a certain kind of frame, right? So you've got this large um, kind of um, tarp that's laid down on the floor, a huge rectangle, and the girls fill up that space, and that keeps them being able to, to, to march around with their flags and do the things that they were going to do. Well, the music begins to play, and, and I'm sitting there front row because I wanted to be a supportive winter guard dad. And I'm there on the front row, and the music starts, and all of a sudden I notice that, that as they're all moving around at a, at a frantic pace, I'm trying to, trying to notice and find, find my daughter, and I, I pick up where she is, and I'm following her, and, and she, gets, she gets to the back corner of this tarp that is there on the floor. And it just so happened that basically that's kind of where I was sitting. So I was, I was right here and the edge of the tarp kind of ran here in front of me. And so I had a great view of my daughter as she is going through this beginning routine. Well, then I watch her and she begins to stagger. And not only does she begin to, to stagger, but all of a sudden her, her head kind of fell down and her, her arm went limp to her side and the daddy, the papa moose in me, you know, you, you got mama bears, I think we got papa mooses, and, and, and so the, the papa moose in me, all of a sudden, my, my radar went up because I'm watching my baby girl, and, and she's staggering, and there's something, there's something that's not right. And, and so I got up off of my chair, right, and, and I began that quick walk that a lot of you guys, you know, do in the mall, you know, where you get the hands, you know, going. I am, I am up, and I am, here I'm coming, and about the time I get to her, now remember, the rest of the winter guard, they're all over here to this side of me because she's right here at this back corner. So I've got quick access to her. And about the time that I get to her, as she had collapsed onto the floor, onto her knees, all of a sudden she picks up her flag and stands up. Along with all of the other winter guard people who had also apparently, unknown to me, been staggering and dropping their head and falling to their knees. And so as I got to her, well, all of a sudden, I'm like, 
I'm just going to the other side over here for popcorn. Yeah. I'll, um, y'all just do that over there. And, and I did. I just walked right by to the back of the performance. And then I stood there watching. Now, let me tell you, apparently my daughter is a great actress. That's all I know, right? I mean, because she sold it. I mean, it was there. She sold it, and I was up. And the only thing on my mind was reaching my baby girl. And I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care if it stopped the whole performance. I didn't care if people talked about me for months or years. I didn't care if people got out their phones and took pictures. I was going to do whatever it took to make sure she was okay. In church, that is the attitude that we have to have in order to connect the next generation to Christ. We don't care what other people say. We don't care what's written. We don't care about memes. We we, we don't care about anything except reaching that child, that grandchild, that coworker, that classmate, that ball player, that person that's serving me coffee, that individual at the gym, the only thing that I'm worried about is reaching them for Christ. And I will do whatever it takes. And I truly believe that when the people of Christ start living with the attitude of Christ, people will be one to Christ. And I'm asking you to join me. Father, there is a huge task in front of your people, and not just us here in this room. There is a huge task in front of your people on being able to, to being able to be heard in a society, in a culture that seems content on blocking out your voice. And I know that there have been times past where maybe it was easier or maybe it was harder. But for us right here and right now, we have never seen anything like the moment that we are currently in. And Father, help us to understand that it is going to take a whatever-it-takes mentality to be able to break through the noise. But Father, also help us understand that it's not... It's not about us being cute or creative necessarily, Father. It, this, is about, this is about encouraging others to hear you. This is about you working through us. This is about your power. And this is about your voice being heard. And this is about your salvation. So help us not to be afraid of the conversations. Help us not to be afraid of the questions that people are asking. Help us to have confidence that your spirit within us will lead us in this journey. Will give us the words to say. And Father, just like that day when I was sure that 
that my daughter needed her father. Give us the urgency so that we can see that your children need you. And then, Father, allow us the opportunity to point them in your direction. Father, thank you for the way in which you have, that you have rescued us. For the life that you have given us, for the way that now we are able to enjoy life to the full because of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace. May we do whatever it takes to see that others don't miss it. In the name of Jesus, the bringer of grace, we pray together. Amen. Church, we're going to sing together, and if anything that we have spoken about this morning has, has left you maybe with questions or concerns, I want you to know that one of our elders will be in our prayer room that is located in our lobby. You're welcome to go and have a private time there of conversation and study. Maybe you'd like to come this morning saying, I'd love to be baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. Perhaps someone has already talked to you about the grace of God, and you've already heard that message before. Maybe you came here for that purpose today. I don't know. Maybe you'd like to talk more about it. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Just talk to me out in the lobby so that we can come up with a time to be able to share about the grace of God together. Thanks so much, everybody, for being here this morning. Thank you for, thank you for going on this journey with us. It is a big, hairy, audacious goal but by God's grace, we will win at least one. Let's stand and give him praise.